Welcome to the Real Estate Trainer Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Eisenhower. I'm the CEO and founder of ICC, or Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. ICC is one of the largest real estate coaching companies in the world with thousands of clients and a large team of the most accomplished coaches in the industry who coach many of the highest producing real estate agents, teams, and broker owners in North America. You can find more content on my website, the world's leading production training website for real estate agents at therealestatetrainer.com. That's therealestatetrainer.com. Now on this podcast, I'll share tips, success stories, and training for agents and brokers looking to increase their business income while maintaining a balanced life. So whether you are a new licensee, a solo agent, a real estate team leader, or maybe a team member, a broker owner, or a manager, you are guaranteed to learn something new on each and every podcast episode. Uh, Emily, what's up? I'm ready. There she goes. Hey, it's not, it's not Emily. It's Iggy. Oh, it's Iggy. Sorry. I forgot. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, quick question. So I hired my first admin. Nice. Um, Congratulations. Good. Thank you. Took your advice. Did a good amount of salary with benefits based on the personality type. Um, and I think that's going to work out well. But for some reason, my thought process is not to really grow out a team in that aspect, but grow it out, hey, max out my myself. I try to hit hitting maybe... 70. You said your your mindset was to max yourself max out. Myself out with transactions. Okay. Yeah, by trying to hit more than I don't know, sixty to seventy by myself without hiring a buyer's agent. Is there anything wrong with that thought process, or is that going to come back to bite me in the butt? Or I don't know. What's what's your thoughts on that? There are potentially lots of things wrong with it. Potentially, not necessarily. Um, didn't you just get married? Didn't I see that? <laughs> yeah, married and uh, first child on the way. Well, there's problems number one and two right there. Um, <laughs> that can definitely start to change your relationship if uh, Iggy's no longer available because he's trying to close 70 deals a year. I've had many clients and agents in my brokerages that have closed 70 to 100 deals a year as a solo agent with an admin. And I can tell you they almost never ended well. So you, even though you think you can do it all, it tends to burn things a little too tight, especially in spring and summer when you want to be on vacation and spending time with your family. That's when you're going to be the busiest. So you almost disappear during the harvest season in spring and summer when you try to do that much by yourself. So that's the first thing is I really, and I know that, you know, everybody says that, oh, my wife's cool. She can handle it until it happens. So I would say that would be my first one. I wouldn't do it because could you do it? Sure. I think you could do it. I've seen people do it, but there's usually damage, especially when you have a spouse and a kid. The other problem with it would be, I don't think it's the fastest way to grow because what you're doing is you're trying to maximize your profit margin by not giving any buyer sides away. So you're trying to keep all your buyer sides and your listings, which will actually minimize your production because you're going to be able to lead generate less and take less listings because you're going to have to spend so much time with the buyer sites. Because understand, with regards to time, you can handle four times as many listings as you can one buyer. That's how much time it takes showing property, writing offers, attending inspections, 
you know, attending appraisals, negotiating all the, all the contingencies the buyers have to remove in the transaction too. So if you spend a lot of time with buyers, it's going to limit and minimize and decrease the amount of listings you could have gotten. So typically when you give your buyers away, yeah, you give away a, a certain percentage of those, but that frees up so much time that you can really get up there and it's not uncommon to close 60, 70, 80 to 100 listings a year. And it's just, a, it's an absolute breeze. You know what I'm saying? It's, I mean, closing 100 listings in a year is like doing 20 buyers in a year. Wow, okay. That makes sense? Maybe, yeah. Maybe no, 30, I, mean, I don't know, something around there. Because I mean, think about it. You're taking listings when you want, if you're doing it right. You typically, I mean, <laughs> you know, you're not, you don't have to do weekends even if you don't want to. It's a nine to five job. You're not showing every night. You're not showing every weekend like you do on the buyer side. That's why almost all top agents are listing agents. You very rarely see top agents working that buy side because everybody tells them, leverage out the buyers and it's going to change your whole career and this business will look differently. So that's why they do it. So I don't think maxing it out will actually maximize your income. I really don't. I, I think I think that you'd be better served to get the buyer's agent, learn how to work with the buyer's agent, just like a dentist works with a hygienist. Don't think you're sacrificing customer service just because you have an assistant or a buyer's agent or whatever you want to call them. And I think you'll sell more real estate. That's why. I know it's scary when you give a buyer away and you have to give, let's say, 50% of that away to the buyer's agent. And it's like, okay, now I'm giving away money when I'm a young, healthy, hardworking man and I could have taken this and handled this too. The key is, can you give it away and still maximize your time to keep spending that time doing activities, getting more listings? Because if you're disciplined enough to replace the free time with lead generation activity, you'll sell more real estate given the buyers away. At what point in the, how many transactions do you get to the point where you need a buyer's agent? Man, these are great questions. Okay, I'm going to tell you and then I'm going to show you, okay? So what I think is you need to bring on an administrative assistant when you get to a place where you're going to sell between 30 to 40 units a year. I think you need to bring on an admin to help you from listing to contract and contract to close. So- that might be when you're doing 20, but you know you're increasing. You know you're going to be. So hiring advanced the need, I'm cool with that. I mean, I don't think that's leading with expenses. You know, you've got a reasonable idea that you're going to that you're gonna hit it. So that's fine. Now, you could do 40 all by yourself without an admin. But again, it's going to be hard. You're going to start being so busy in the spring and summer, you're going to stop lead generating for listings. So you're going to start to plateau and start banging your head up against the ceiling. And you're going to stay at that 40. If the intention is to grow past 40, which means grow past it two ways. Everything I always talk about is grow. And I am getting to your answer. You know, Maggie. Yeah. When we grow, we got to grow two ways at once. Number one, you got to get more income. Number two, you got to get more life balance. Now, if Iggy chooses to take that life balance and pour it into getting more business with that free time, that's fine too. But you got to get more income and you got to get more free time. Let's put it that way. Okay. At the same time. So... If you want to get to 30 and 40 transactions and the goal is to go past that and increase that production and free time, then I recommend hiring an admin when it's reasonably certain that we're going to be in a place to close 30 or 40 transactions a year. Then I am, then it's not long after that because you should start growing fast. When you bring on an admin that takes things off your plate and you're letting go, 
generally speaking, you're going to 60 to 75 transactions. And somewhere in there is when you should be bringing in, when it looks like 60 to 75 is going to happen, we should definitely have a buyer's agent on hand. Definitely. Depending on the availability of that buyer's agent, how hungry they are, how much they want to work, how overwhelmed they get, how much they're full-time versus part-time, you might bring on a second shortly thereafter. Especially if they can't hold open houses for you, things like that. You know what I mean? Like if you need more coverage for those, for more open houses, more stuff like that. Um, If you're able to give them leads to stay in front of them on the matching standard, right? So if, like if you give them 10 transactions and they haven't really brought any business to the team, I'd bring on another buyer's agent right away because they need to try to match you. They need to try to bring in some to match you. If you stay far ahead of one, I'd bring on a second one right away. Um, and then I'd start giving some of my leads to them. And whoever brings in the most business, I would continue to give my buyer sides to the people that are bringing in the most. And that's production-based. This is the this is the secret sauce that most people miss on real estate teams. So a lot of you are probably hearing this for the first time. This is why, this is the chapter that 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 needs to be included in most books about real estate teams. I'll tell you right now, is you gotta have the matching standard in there where you determine lead distribution based on who's bringing business in from their own individual SOIs. Um, so if you, it, but oftentimes you stay way ahead of all of them and they don't bring much in and the lead agents giving them all the business, then you want to start directing, you know, you can keep bringing on agents as long as you're ahead of people. So as long as you're ahead of all your agents, you can just bring on more buyers agents because they'd be crazy to leave you. Why would they ever leave your team when they have no business and they're getting it all from you? A better split? What's a better split? You know, Anything times zero is still zero, you know, like (laughs) what's that going to do for you? You know, if they walk away and they're walking away from three quarters of their business because they're getting three quarters of their business from you, we got a problem. That makes sense. So that's the thing. And that's got to be well known and that's got to be visible. They have to know where they stand, what the score is on that matching standard, how many closings they have year to date, agent generated versus team generated at all times. Okay. So as we're moving forward into that, because I do want to talk about that from an economic model, like you're saying when to do these things, but let me, let me show you what that matching standard looks like. Cause this is when you determine when to bring on buyers agents, really it's based on the matching standard. So this is a big spreadsheet, right? And with our teams, they're tracking all these different things up and down here, but I want to show you, cause I could spend hours just talking about each one of these. But you can see here, this little section right here under closed year to date, that is our matching standard, okay? And you start to look at each agent on the team here. And let's say this is halfway through the year. This first person, I think I took at one point, this was my wife's team when they were a lot smaller. And this is about halfway. And I just put names, just use their names because I'm not creative. But you can see closed year to date. These are all fake numbers, by the way. My wife, the lead agent, at that point in the year had closed 35. And she had brought 26 of them to the team. And then nine were given to her by you know other agents on the team, typically because they were bringing in listings. But let's ignore her. Let's look at all the other agents on her team. And you can see here is Melissa who closed 25 transactions. She brought 10 of them to the team 
and she received 15 transactions closed from leads that were given to her by the team, team generated closings. Okay. Then you go way down here to Jessica and let's say Jessica closed eight transactions, except at this point in the year, she'd only brought in one transaction to the team and she'd received seven from the team. See, at that point, Jessica might have been upset. And I actually know who Jessica is. This is totally not her. And these are totally not her numbers, but I'm going to make fun of this fictional Jessica. So imagine that this fictional Jessica then starts complaining, oh man, I need more business. I'm not in this to sell eight transactions a year. That's not why I joined your team. Well, now we can say, well, Jessica, our job is to stay ahead of you and match you. That's why we call this the matching standard. Um, what can we do to get you up? I mean, if you were to sell six more transactions, you'd go from eight to 13 closings or 14 closings, sorry. So you'd have four, you know, you would, you'd literally have six more closings and we would be forced to give you more. You'd be pushing us. So now the team's got to redistribute our leads all towards Jessica because Jessica is the agent that's pushing us the hardest. So Jessica's own effort with regards to marketing to her own sphere of influence database is what dictates the lead flow here. Does that make sense? So that all of a sudden, just the whole conversation shifts back. She's, you know, if Jessica's arguing, I'm not getting a good enough commission split. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why, what do you care about a commission split for? Well, I need more income. Well, then why don't we do something about this big one? Or Jessica starts saying something like, I need more leads. Well, you need more leads. Well, then why don't we do something about this one? If you push us a little bit more, then we'll send more leads your way. Right now, we have to get our leads up here to these guys because they're bringing in so much business to the team. They're pushing us harder. We're having to send our leads to stay in front of them. Right now, we're way in front of you. So it redirects and reshapes a blaming, excuse-driven, justification-driven conversation into a coaching conversation where you can refocus them on doing what they need to do to generate business themselves, which is where the conversation clearly should be here. It's production-based. Lead distribution is production-based. It's not based on seniority or anything else. It's based on who's doing the work. And all of a sudden, you've got a team where buyer's agents bring business to the team themselves. Make sense? So that's the idea behind the matching standard. And, th and that's novel to a lot of people. But I'll tell you, if you had a team that blew up or a bunch of agents that didn't want to do the work or things like that, typically they didn't realize that their bread was buttered. So you didn't have a team scoreboard. You didn't meet regularly. And they didn't see that they were actually behind. You got to regularly show them. If you don't regularly show them, they, they will think that they brought all the business to the team. They don't understand. Agents don't understand the difference between lead generation and lead conversion. They just don't get it. They think like that if they, if you gave them a lead and they called them and they met with them and they converted them, that they've done all the work. They don't realize that 90% of that work was the fact that you generated the lead for them. Because if you got nothing to convert, you got nothing. So all the value in real estate is based on who can generate the lead. Those are the people that make the most. It's the lead generators, the people who can generate through. There's tons of people who can convert. They're all over the place. 
So you got to explain the difference. And the way that you hold them accountable to the difference is you show them how you track it on a scoreboard. And guess what? It's the best retention tool on the planet. People will not leave your organization. I mean, could you imagine Jessica leaving that team? Well, I'm going to go off on my own with my one transaction a year. You know, and she's given up, you know, 80% of her income if she left. So in that case, Iggy, you say, you know, when should I bring on a buyer's agent? Whenever you can stay ahead of them, when you have enough business to stay ahead of one. And if you, if, if you stay ahead of one for a while and you realize, okay, I almost stay ahead of this guy, you might be able to bring on a second one and stay ahead of him as you're grooming them, as you're showing them how to work their sphere of influence, as they're getting their SOI database into your CRM and they're starting to market to them because someone's finally holding them accountable to do it. And they're finally doing it for the first time in their life. And then maybe in their second year of production, they start bringing in business to the team. And then it gets a little harder to stay ahead of them because they're starting to bring in some business. So you might have to slow down your growth a little bit until you feel like you can stay ahead of them. And that's when people start looking at other lead sources and different ways to bring in more leads to the team. And I always tell everybody we coach, leads will never be your problem. And it won't ever be any of your problems either because we're still going to be talking on this group. If you came to me and say, I don't have enough... If, if you ever come to me and say, I cannot stay ahead of my agents on my team, all my agents are bringing in more business to me than I'm giving them, that'll be a very rare conversation. That almost never happens. But if that does happen, I will solve that problem for you. I promise you. That's an easy one to solve. You've got the hard problem solved. My agents are all producing like banshees. That's the hard thing to make happen, <laughs> you know? So that's how that works. Is that is that enlightening to anybody, that matching standard idea? Uh, that's great. That's brilliant. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You bet. You bet. So that so that would be my buyer's agent. So let me show you where that looks, okay? So let me open up this real estate budget template that I've been that we left off on last time. We'll probably end up leaving off on it again today. Because I could talk about this thing all day long. But this this kind of shows you when you should be bringing on these different members of a team. Remember me showing you guys this? So this this is another way to answer Iggy's question. Like, when do I hire people? This is based on the amount of production you're selling. Okay. So you can see here, total sales volume of 8 million. And I use 3% commission as your average because I think everyone should try to charge that. Of 240,000 in GCI. This person's at 13 million or 390,000 in GCI. And as you move to the right, the production numbers go up. I have shaded in gray the most important four lines on this chart or four rows, I should say. So we're going to call left to right rows and columns up and down, just like Microsoft Excel. Okay. So left to right, there are four important gray rows. The first one is GCI. So we're always going to do everything based upon GCI. It's the most important row on here. All the percentages down below that are that form our budget amounts are based as a percentage of GCI. So I don't care if you charge 2.5% or you charge 3% for your commissions. I don't care if your average price is 100000 a house or uh, 850000 a house or $2 million a house. It doesn't matter because we're using GCI, which makes it all work out equally. Okay. So because of that, the only difference might be down here in units. I've left units blank 
because I will tell you, if your average home price is a hundred thousand, you know, you're gonna have to sell a lot more houses during that GCI. And you might need a little extra admin staff to keep up um, with the person that has a $2 million average price. Someone has a $2 million average price, you know, they may not even need an admin assistant. They could make a million dollars a year. But if someone has an average price of a hundred thousand, they might need three admins on their staff closing a transaction a day to make a million dollars a year. And trust me, I coach both types of agents. So that's where I put the unit number in here, just so we can uh, compare apples and oranges and realize, because when it comes to admin staff, it makes a big, big difference. Okay, so then we go into our operating expenses and you can see these are all our little operating expenses broken down until we get to our first important gray area, gray row, which is total operating expenses, which should be 30% of your GCI. So Iggy's new administrative salesperson would be up in that as an operating expense. Any marketing or lead generation costs that Iggy has are operating expenses. Any training, education, coaching, things like that that he pays for, operating expenses, equipment, computers, stuff like that, cell phone, operating expenses. That's one type of cost that you have. The other type of cost, other than an operating expense, is a cost of sale. If any of you have an accounting background, you would think of that as a cost of goods sold, a COGS. Some of you have seen that on your profit losses. Well, in real estate, we call them cost of sale because we're in a service. We don't sell goods. So you either have a cost of sales in the service industry or cost of goods sold in a product-driven industry. And that means these are sales and costs that we only pay if we sell something. And remember, we're taking everything of gross commission income, which is the total amount of a commission check, assuming they still gave you those. But we know you don't get your whole commission check. Part of that goes to your broker. And part of that might go to one of your buyer's agents if it was a buyer side transaction and you had a buyer's agent. It might even be a referral fee you pay to another agent out of state that referred a business to you. Those are three of the most common costs of sales out there. But we still want to have your total GCI figured at the top, not how much you made, that's net commission income. We want your gross commission income up here because we're going to back out any costs of sales down here. Are you with me? And it's very important to factor it this way. So, and then we have your net income. Now, please look down at the bottom. You will see that net income, this is kind of what I was talking to Iggy about a little bit. You can see that even though the dollar amount that he gets to keep after paying both his cost of sales and his operating expenses goes up as the production goes up. But notice his profit margin goes down 60%, 55% he keeps. Then he only keeps 50% of his GCI. Then he only keeps 45% of his GCI until we get way out here until he's doing 100 million and doing 3 million in GCI. Now he's only keeping 30% of his GCI. So his margin's dropping. And that's true in any real estate business. You'll always see the margin drop. Okay? Why? Because you keep investing in your business. I mean, the the most expen- the, the most successful people in real estate have the lowest margins. The least successful people have the highest margins. 
So you take a, uh, an agent that sells one house a year, he typically is at a discount brokerage where he keeps 100% of his transactions. The top agents are never at those. They're always at places that have, pay a little bit higher split because they invest in their business. Then you got Bill Gates. I mean, Bill Gates probably has a 1% margin. I mean, he makes 101 billion in revenue, has 100 billion in expenses, has a 1% margin, but he still makes a freaking billion dollars. So the more successful, I just made all those numbers up. They probably don't even make mathematical sense. But the, the more that you produce, the more you're gonna invest in your business, so your margin's gonna drop, but it's gonna cause your net income to go up. And that's where most agents get stuck is they watch their expenses too tight. They won't invest in their business. They won't be willing to decrease their margin. So their income never goes up. And that's most agents. So why do they hire coaches? It's not to make you lead generate, it's to make you freaking spend money on your business and to tell you the right places to do it to make your income go up. And that's kind of what we do as coaches. Yeah, we might hold you accountable to doing stuff that's uncomfortable from time to time, but it's really about giving you the courage and the push to invest in certain areas so your business goes up. And that's why I have this chart. I have this chart to show people this is what the top teams do and it works. See what I'm saying? Now, so this, I could talk about this chart forever because it answers every single question that you have about any type of real estate business, just to let you know. So Iggy asked me, he said, all right, so when should I hire an admin? Okay, so let's go out here to the beginning at the start. Now this is 8 million in sales, so this really isn't the start. I mean, to get to 8 million, you gotta be doing something pretty darn good. But you can see this person at 8 million is spending 28,800 on an administrative staff, okay? So that 8 million, Let's take 8 million. I'm going to use a little calculator here. And I'm going to divide that by 250,000, which is about the national median. That's 32 transactions a year. If you use the national median home price. Okay. So at 32, so I'd write a little 32 in here. And that means that, and they have, they're spending $28,800 on an admin. So it's probably not full time unless you got a real cheap one, but it's, definitely part-time you know it could be three-quarter time you might be paying them by the transaction at this point still you got to get rid of stop doing that because you'll get stuck the same way there but it's a nice little halfway to getting a full-time admin and getting your time back so that 28.8 is someone who's at 32 that's your budget that's 12 percent of your GCI. And we never ever allow you to go over 12% of your GCI. Now check this out. This, this team is doing 1.2 million 40, uh, in GCI and they got 144,000 in admin costs. That's a lot. They probably have two or three people in there working. Maybe, maybe two and two, two halves. You can pay inside sales agents a base salary and then also give them a percentage, for example. So you can, you can have halves pretty easy if you're, if you have real low minimum wage base pay plus some commission pay for some positions. So there they are at 144,000, never exceeding 12%. So if you want to know how much of an admin budget you have, take a look at your gross commission income, not just how much you make, how much your, all of your commission checks you were before you paid your broker and anybody else out of them. And then take 12% of those and you can see what your admin budget is. If you're thinking, I need to hire an admin sometime in the future, then 
Take a look at how much you need to make. Because I think you could hire a very good admin for $46,000, $47,000 a year. I know a lot of you are in Southern California. You can still do it down there. Trust me for that. That means we got to be up here at $390,000 and you got no problem. Now, could you hire one earlier? Absolutely. I, for, I recommend it. I'm just telling you, you are going to get stuck and not be able to lead generate in spring and summer if you don't do it by then. Because if you get up to friggin' 390,000 in GCI and 13 million in volume and you have not hired an admin yet, you are going to be stressed out. You're going to stop. You're going to hit a ceiling. You're going to ride that roller coaster back down because you're going to stop lead generating. There's going to be a gap in your production in the fall and the winter. You're going to get stressed out. And then you're, and then you're going to go right back down in production. And then you're going to have to get it back up again. You're going to get right up to that same amount. You're going to get stressed out. It just depends how many times you want to keep riding the roller coaster of too much business, not enough business, too much business, not enough business before you finally say, I'm going to break through that, get some leverage and start playing around up in a higher uh, income bracket. So that's why. So that's why that amount, you could definitely leverage earlier than that. You could definitely hire someone sooner than that and start ramping up ahead of time but you need to do it by here. This is why this is a budget. This is like the extreme. This is when you should be doing it by, without a doubt, okay? Now, down here, we can look at your cost of sales. Now, you're always gonna be paying something here to your broker owner. So something comes out of your broker, you know, like he gets his percent of the company dollar split of the commission. And that we can't really change. I mean, I guess you could move to different brokerages and stuff, but you get the idea. I mean, that's kind of the same but you can make decisions with buyer's agents because that's usually the bulk of this. The broker owner is usually a very small part. The buyer's agents, they milk up the, boat, the, the bulk of it. Then you can see cost of sales. Look at how that percentage goes up and the dollar amount you're paying buyer's agents gets astronomical. I mean, you get way out here to where you're doing 3 million in sales. Heck, 40% of your transaction, 40% of all your GCI is going to pay buyer's agents the tune of 1.2 million. Why? Because you're doing 3 million in GCI. I hope that's not all coming from you. I hope you've got a life. That's the whole idea of bringing on a bunch of buyer's agents. More of the production is going to come on from them than it is from you. So of course your cost of sale is going to go up because more of your sales are happening from the other agents on your team and less is happening from you. So we want that, which is why the dollar amount that you make keeps going up as well too down below. Again, decreasing the profit margin because we're paying more a higher percentage of our commissions to buyer's agents than we are keeping ourselves because they're bringing more production to the team and they're handling more of the team's production. Everybody with me there? So then you can start saying, okay, out here at 13 million, when I'm doing 13 million, let's see how many transactions that would be based on the national median home price. 13 million, I was divided by 250,000. That's probably a little low. Divided by 250,000. That's 52 transactions. So at 52 transactions, this person has already got a buyer's agent. So to answer Iggy's question, this person started doing a little bit early. So here we are at 52 transactions. I think I told you 60 to 75, you should have it done by. This person's doing it. They're paying something to their brokerage, probably this 24,000. And then they've got another, what is that? About 24,000 or no, 34,000 that they're paying to a buyer's agent in buyer side. So that buyer's agent did a little bit of production, not much. However, by the next year, 
we've got either a full-fledged buyer's agent or a buyer agent and a half now because $108,000 are going out the door as costs of sales to buyer agent splits plus a little bit to the broker. And that's up at 18 million. We get over to 25 million in production. 25 million in production. We'll divide that by 250 again. That's 100 transactions a year. Now we probably have two full-blown buyer's agents producing at a high level. One's doing really well because you brought him on first, probably making about $110,000 there. The second one is probably only making like 60000 or something because they're newer and they're starting to build up their, their SOI and their business. Then you've got a third that's probably doing nothing because whatever reason, so many agents to join teams just kind of disappear. They're going through a divorce. They got pregnant. They, they don't really know if they like real estate. They had to get another job. You name it. You always got one or two agents that just completely disengages. So you always got to kind of remember that and not worry about them and kind of grow despite them. And hopefully they come around. If not, they leave the team or you kick them off. Who cares? Don't get all hung up on everybody being perfect. Make sense? So that's how that, and that's how this cost of sales works. Total, total operating expenses is really simple. As, uh, um, Bob and I talked earlier, this, these two costs is how the old Remax teams started real estate teams. It was sharing these two costs. Nothing to do with agents or commissions or anything. It was really just these two lines. You know, you could pay admins, an admin or a TC, and you could split that cost. But really, it was the marketing. We're going to split the cost of the marketing. And that we always hold at 30%, right? So cost of sales, we're generally holding on a sliding scale, 10, 15, 30, 40%. Total operating expenses, we're always holding at 30%. And the bulk of that 30% is combined is these two. This is 22 of the 30%. So more than two-thirds of those operating expenses are divided between administrative salaries and marketing and lead generation. So if you're saying, am I spending too much or not enough on lead generation and marketing, take your gross commission income, multiply it times 10% and see if you're spending that much or not. If you need to spend more, then take a look at this chart and say, I need to get my business up to here. I got to get this many listings or this many closings together, and then I'll be able to afford that type of marketing or lead generation. That way I'm leading with revenue. I'm waiting till I have the money before I spend it. So I'm opening up my budget by generating more business, which is clearing out room in the budget to invest more money in my business. All right. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, poor <laughs> Iggy's making fun of me. Thanks for the detailed answer. Yeah, I, that was about as detailed as you're going to get right there. Uh, <laughs> covered you. Uh, hey, that was that was perfect. That was the like hit the nail on the head. Yeah, there's a yeah, like a couple times. There's a <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple different ways I could answer that question. Uh, and, and, and there's no right or wrong way. And I can tell you, you can always, you know, I don't mind growing early. I don't mean bringing on people, bringing on people early and hiring people in advance of the need. I don't think that's leading with, ex with expenses. So long as you're still putting your head down, lead generating, trying to generate more business. So I'm good with that. So guys, thank you for that. Um, I hope that helps some of you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Trainer Podcast, sponsored by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. 
For more information about real estate coaching or to watch my training videos, check out therealestatetrainer.com or join our Facebook called The Real Estate Agent Roundtable. Thanks again.